Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Line 6. Line 6 is a musical instruments manufacturing company that specializes in guitar amp and effects modeling and makes guitars, amps, effects pedals, and multi-effects. We introduce the world's first digital modeling amp, and we're behind the groundbreaking pod, Multi-Effect, which revolutionized the industry with an easy way to record guitar with great tone. Line 6 will always take dramatic leaps so you can reach new heights with your music. And now your hosts, Joey Sturges, Joel Wanasek, and Al Levy. Hey guys, welcome to the Joey Sturges Forum podcast. And today we're talking about how to get the most bang for your buck. And this is a tips and tricks episode on basically how to spend your money wisely on hardware versus software, because now that seems to be a option for us based on where technology has taken us. Um, you know, plugins are getting better every day, but hardware is still around and also still has a purpose. So I'd like to start with EQ because I feel like a lot of hardware EQ isn't necessary, especially if you're trying to be budget yourself and, and you're like, okay, what should I buy? I would go with EQ plugins all day, but maybe you have a different opinion. And let's consider the fact that for a Clarifonic, you can get the plug-in version as well. So I'm curious, what do you think, Joel? Because you, you've got a lot of outboard gear. Wait, wait, that that's one piece I would buy. Yeah, that's a pretty awesome piece. You, you would buy EQ? The Clarifonic EQ, for sure, yeah. Sorry, Joel. Uh, my name's not Joel, but I just had to stick up for that piece. Yeah, that piece freaking slays. But to be honest, you know, I would actually change the direction of course here. And the reason I'm going to say that is because if I had to start getting into gear, I would focus on first getting like a really good two channel input, meaning converter, microphone pre, because that's going to literally do like 90% of your work. So before I even start getting into EQ or do I need an outboard compressor for tracking or et cetera, I would start there. So maybe it makes more sense to start there. The big problem there though is, is the cost of admission is so high. I mean, getting a nice DA is like, you know, into the five figures. No, if we're talking about a two channel, that's budget conscious but really good they can get an apogee for like 600 or 700 bucks as opposed to like uh yeah you can't record drums with that though no but if we're we're starting at just two channels or something here's the thing right 90 percent of the stuff you're going to record except for drums like guitars with a, with a di bass with a di a vocalist you know maybe like a stand-up bass a horn maybe a solo violin, an acoustic guitar, a shaker, a tambourine, 90% of the stuff that's going to come through your door can be done on one or two channels. So if you really want to focus your bank for the buck and, you know, buy something that's a little bit nicer or even like upper mid range, I would really just say the priority should be on just getting like a good preamp or two and then a good set of converters, because that's going to literally, like I said, 90% of your audio is going to pass through those. And then if you are doing a drum kit, you can always get something cheaper, you know, like I used to have this, uh, I had like a stereo pair of MyTech converters, which were super high-end stereo, or sorry, mastering converters, not stereo, super high-end mastering uh, two-channel AD. And then I had like a Behringer eight-channel, just absolutely nonsense converter preamp thing that was super cheap. And, you know, I'd run all my stuff that would be triggered through that, but I would capture my cymbals and my overheads through the really high quality stuff. So 
for, for me, I mean, like I said, the, an EQ in terms of outboard would be like literally one of the last things that I would purchase because I usually don't like to EQ into the computer unless I absolutely have to. Yeah, I feel like outboard EQ is one thing that you do once you have good converters, once you have good preamps, once you have some good compressors, then it's like, okay, well, maybe it would be cool to put some of these APIs in my lunchbox or something. But I feel like that's like way down the line. And I'm going to echo what you just said. So, you know, if you're starting at the bottom and you're not going to record drums or whatever, most bang for your buck is to get a really good two-channel interface that's hopefully expandable. Then if you are going to record drums, I would split it into two different units. One one that's higher quality and one that's lower quality for the throwaway tracks. Throwaway tracks being, like Joel said, trigger splats, talkback, you know, all that stuff that doesn't have to be high quality and then just keep expanding from there i think the most important thing though is that whatever you get be expandable yeah absolutely like that's what i really love about the lunchbox concept so you can go out and buy a well i'm looking at one right now for example you can buy i think it's like an eight slot one two three four five six yeah eight slot lunchbox from api now for like 420 bucks which is really, really reasonable. And, you know, if you want to start getting into EQs and compressors and things like that, there's so many cool options for that. And you don't have to pay for that extra power supply and all the stuff that comes with it. So, for example, when I bought a Neve Brad Averill modded 1073 EQ with additional EQ points, you know, you had to buy the power supply for a couple hundred bucks on top of the mic pre. And what's cool about stuff in a lunchbox, it's like, you know, if you buy an EQ or a preamp or a compressor, you just plug it in and it works. You don't have to shell out another couple of hundred bucks. So if you're going to go down that route, I feel like the lunch boxes have insane value. Now it definitely has its opponents. You know, some guys say that they're really underpowered and, you know, lunchbox gear isn't as good as the freestanding stuff and things like that. There's a lot of definitely strong arguments from people who design gear for a living and um, get super techy about that stuff. But, you know, the stuff that I've used in the lunchboxes all sounded really good to my ears, so I'm not going to say that they're right or wrong. I've tested that out a few times, and I have found that the rack mount versions of certain pieces were better than the lunchbox versions. But also, it's almost, uh, I almost feel like sometimes it's an unfair comparison because, uh, especially when you're dealing with knockoffs, there's so many different versions of every piece now that, uh, you know, I feel like there's almost too many variables there. But in general, I do feel like I can get a little bit more out of the rack gear, but the, but the lunchbox gear is perfectly, perfectly fine. You definitely want to consider, though, um, bang for buck. Uh, you know, if, if you could get one EQ, you know, if you could get one EQ plugin, it can be put on many, many tracks versus only having one. EQ uh, lunchbox insert that can only be used on one track at a time. Or you could track everything through that one EQ and get that extra 10% that the plugin's not going to give you. So, I mean, there, that's the, I would say, the cheap way to get into that sort of price point or get around that limitation. Again, it's a compromise because you have to EQ going into the box, but if yeah. you want to be budget conscious, that's definitely a good way to kind of circumvent that issue. It, it also locks you into a certain type of processing. You know, you're processing, you're doing your EQ before. If you're going to put a compressor plug-in inside the DAW somewhere in your mix and you've you've tracked your EQ on the way in, then all of your EQ is pre-compressor and that's puts you down a certain path. Whereas, you know, post 
compressor EQ is a completely different thing. And uh, that won't be available to you if you do it that way. So those are some things to consider in that regard. Yeah, I think like a good starting point, if you're going to buy like an outboard EQ and print EQ into the box, find something that's very musical that doesn't have a lot of really surgical options to it. So, you know, something that's tone shaping, that's got a nice sound to it. For example, like the Tonalux Tilt EQs are really awesome. It's one knob and you can brighten or darken things and you still get some of that nice sound and transformer or sorry, op amp. I'm not an electrical engineer, so excuse that. Whatever goods are in the box, I think it's op amps in those that people like, but they have, you know, that certain kind of tone and stuff. So you can kind of impart that. I'll give you an example. Like I have my Shadow Hills mastering compressor, right? And it has three transformer options and each one kind of has its own like special sauce and magic that it's really good for and that it excels at. And I'll just track through it, even if I'm not using any compression or EQ or not, it doesn't matter to me because I just want the tone of that transformer on the audio because it just makes it you know, it does that thing and gives it that sound, which to me is favorable to my ear. For sure. Now, one thing that uh, I really think is important is uh, kind of not buying new gear, especially when you're dealing with compressors and EQ. Just get well-maintained used gear. It's way, way cheaper, and the well-made stuff pretty much lasts forever. Do you feel the same way though about uh converters and interfaces and stuff? I would say for the for the some of the heavier duty gear, you know, compressors I think have a long lifespan. A lot of things that don't have tubes in them like solid state gear, all that kind of stuff definitely get it, you know, second hand because what's the point in buying new unless you're trying to do some sort of like uh, you know, t- tax asset uh, a depreciation strategy or something like that like if you're just trying to get some gear and get started and get going you know take take a look on ebay and take a look on craigslist and all that kind of stuff i, I think that's and a, reverb.com yeah vintage king is that that's another one right as well vintage audio king or something like that vintage king sells new gear i mean they have some old stuff but it's usually like consoles and really rare compressors that cost way way too much money to be discussing <laughs> on a budget oriented podcast yeah v- vintage king is the crazy shit some gear you're limited to used only i mean it's kind of like you're not going to go out and buy a new u47 today but you might be able to find one that somebody else has used for years so it just depends but uh yeah, secondhand is a good good way to go about a lot of this stuff. I've bought some gear secondhand, but I'm one of those guys. I like to have everything new because I take very, very good care of my gear and all of my stuff is pristine. And I like knowing that when I get it, it's my responsibility 100%. You know, I'm not getting the used car, but again, it's not the most budget conscious thing to do. But in the long term, if you take really good care of your stuff, you don't smoke in your studio, you know, you're not dumping beer all over your compressors and stuff like that on a weekly basis and any other sort of shenanigans. Um, I think that there's a longer long-term value in terms of having stuff because you know that you've taken care of it and it's going to last you longer than, you know, an LA two way that's been kicked down the stairs a few times. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you have no way of knowing that if you're buying it used, but I mean, that's, I feel like that's why you need to vet where you're getting it from for sure. Absolutely. So let's talk about microphones because I feel like microphones are a question I see a lot on the forums where kids want to know, you know, what's like a good budget condenser or a dynamic or I'm doing singing vocals, you know, what should I 
what should I get? Should I get a condenser or a dynamic or what, what do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, a good large diaphragm condenser is, is nice to have because it can do a lot of things and it depends on your workload. But for someone like me who has the workload I have, I have the task of miking all kinds of different things. I might need to mic some hand claps. I might need to mic up a clock. I might need to mic up, you know, a bat being shoved into a car. Like there's a lot of <laughs> different random things that I need to record. So having a large diaphragm condenser is is great for that. And they're useful, you know, for vocals and guitars. And, you know, a lot of people don't reach for a, an LDC on guitars, but you'd be surprised. It sounds really good. And uh, I'd start with that. If you don't have any mics, definitely start with an LDC. Can I chime in on that? Because I feel like LDC and budget are a very, very tricky thing because... I would rather have a really good dynamic mic than a really cheap LDC because the quality of the LDCs in the very, very cheap realm absolutely is dog shit. And I've mixed enough records. But I, I never said, yeah, I'll, I'll just say this. I never said get a cheap LDC. <laughs> yeah. So now there is a price point and maybe that's in the five or $600 range or whatever, where you can find some good stuff. For example, like Stellar Audio makes some really freaking awesome um, large diaphragm condensers like the CM5, the CM6. And my assistant Joe turned me on to them and they're awesome. They sound really, really good. And they're very high quality clone remake mics on uh, Chinese donor bodies, but I think they're like all handmade and stuff like that. So they're, the quality is really good and you can get a really good result. But I feel like in general, you have to spend a little bit of money on a large diaphragm condenser mic. But in my opinion, it's better to save up a little bit, you know, a couple extra paychecks and get something that's going to do a great job. You know, again, you don't need to buy a $3,000 Neumann, but you can get something that's going to do well, that isn't going to break the bank but it's definitely worth it to save up the extra couple of hundred bucks and get something that's going to make you happy that you're going to be able to use for five to 10 years, as opposed to something that you're going to want to replace next year because, you know, the budget MXL, the guy at Guitar Center talked you into that specs the same as EU87 sounds like shit. I got to say, though, if they're going to save the money on that and then just get the cloud lifter or whatever, it's kind of dumb. It's kind of pointless. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously, I almost think that you should divide... Like, say you only have 1200 bucks to spend tops or something or a thousand or whatever. Rather than get a uh, really expensive bike and a cloud lifter, I would go for a workhorse mic and a better preamp so that you can have the best of both worlds, kind of. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of LDCs that are good price where you can be like a thousand dollars to five hundred dollars that are going to produce great results that are going to be awesome workhorses i use the at4040 like a lot and it's it's below 500 bucks yeah um, that's a good one the whole asking record all the vocals are the at4040 and you know i'm not trying to say it competes with a, a manly or anything like that by any means but uh you know i don't think you i think you can make gold records <laughs> Without uh, U47s and without $5,000 LDCs. So, you know, I've had some $5,000 LDCs that have actually like sounded like absolute horseshit because they were the wrong uh, mic for the wrong vocalist. For example, that Manly Reference Cardioid, the black one, is yeah. an awesome mic if you have like a female pop singer because it's super airy. But when it comes to anybody who's really S y or lispy, oh my God, it sucks. It's the wrong fit. Yeah. 
Yeah, or like a TLM 103. I absolutely hate that mic on so many singers. It, just so many struggles with it over the years. So Yeah, just the other week, uh, I was in L.A. doing uh, a Monuments boot camp filming, and with the vocalist, we shot out some mics, and we ended up going with an SM7B that just works with him. But we definitely shot out like a U47 and stuff and some other super expensive microphones and you know, great singer, great studio, great gear, everything. But the super expensive microphones just sounded like brittle shit on him. So, you know, just because it costs a lot doesn't mean that it's going to sound like it costs a lot on the wrong source. Now, that being said, when it works, yeah. it'll blow your fucking mind off. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, when it works. Yeah, and that's the one thing you want to uh, keep in mind is that some of these some of these revelations or these discoveries they don't happen overnight and they don't happen immediately sometimes it takes a little bit of time uh, with the gear or with the plugin to discover its true value so keep you know keep that in mind you're not going to get the full story from a review and you're not going to get the full story from trying it for a day what else can we talk about we could talk about compressors because you know I feel like having uh th- this is a big debate here you know, having a, a hardware compressor versus a software compressor, obviously, I think this is one of the areas where the the difference between the two can be one of the biggest gaps right now, because it is very hard to replicate what an analog compressor does exactly, you know, until our technology gets a little bit better. But we are at kind of a point right now where you can get away with an SSL G comp, and it sounds great. However, it's one of those units where it makes sense to buy one. Because you're only going to have, you know, you're going to have one SSL G comp in your mix, maybe two, if you do your yeah. if drum bus. So like maybe it does make sense to have the real thing. Uh, what do you think, Joel? Because you actually own one. Well, I've got three two bus compressors. I've got the G comp lunchbox. I've got a Roll Music uh, seven fifty five RMS super stereo compressor, which is kind of like a more aggressive one. And then I've got the Shadow Hills, which has an opto and a VCA side. So I guess that one's actually technically due. So four. I will say that I'm a huge fan. If you're going to buy some hardware, get into hardware. To me, the most important part place to start would be on the two bus because the two bus affects everything. So if you are going to buy a bus compressor, you're going to get a lot of bang for your buck out of it because it's literally going to be on every single element of your mix every time you mix. And so it's a really good return on your investment. And um, there is something really magical about a two bus compressor, in my opinion. Now, I will say, let's talk about tracking here for a second. If you're going to buy a tracking compressor, and I feel like this is important because it's similar to my opinion on EQ, I think it's important to have a tracking compressor if you want to compress going into the box to get more of like that analog compression sound, not to screw it up. And it's really easy to do. So for example, like I'll never track in through my 1176s because sometimes you get the release time or the attack time wrong and you're fiddling around and you can just you know, you you can you can get the wrong timing, and then you're paying for it in the mix, and it ruins all of the tracking performances. However, I am a huge, huge, huge lover of opto compressors, especially like the Shadow Hills is awesome, and uh, some of the other ones that are a little bit more modern, like the LA2As, in my opinion, are a little bit slow. But you can track into a compressor like that at a nice, like I think, like two two to one or three to one ratio, and you can kind of slam into your stuff and really get some of that magic. 
but you're not going to screw up the attack and release times of your audio. And it's really hard to mess up and it's always going to sound good and add that sauce. So I think that's a really good bang for the buck is if you want to buy a compressor and you know, you're afraid to screw it up later because you know, you're tracking guitars, for example, or tracking bass and you know, you haven't even mixed your drums or framed them yet or your vocals or whatever, or tracking vocals, any situation. Starting with a good opto compressor will allow you to track in, get some nice dynamic control and analog tone, but it is not going to screw up the attack and release times in a way that are going to be unfavorable to whatever tempo of the song that you're in, and it's not going to be counterproductive when you're mixing. I feel like a distressor is one of the very best tracking compressors ever made. It's amazing, but like I said, it's easy to screw up the attack and release. Now, that one in particular... Um, compared to like an 1176, the cool thing on the distressor is you can really, really hear what the attack and release sound yes. like. So it's a little bit harder to screw up, but you can still screw it up. And I've done it before. <laughs> so yeah, as, as we have all, but uh, I've also I've had way more hits than misses with uh, with that one. I think the whole idea with compression for me. You know, I, I do really like having the options, so I don't like to track with compression at all. I really want to be able to experiment with compression after the fact, and I want to be able to put it up against my guitar mix, put it up against my vocal mix. Like, what is, you know, is my snare getting lost now? Uh, try a heavy, a heavy hand on the limiter. Now, what is my compression like? You got to consider those kind of workflows situations when you're talking about your budget because you want to make sure that you don't spend all this money on a compressor and then be limited in terms of how you can use it in your mix. Uh, especially considering that you can only, you know, if you buy one compressor, you can only use it one time, and unless you have to go in and, and spend the extra time to commit it to ex to recording it in and all that stuff. So. Uh, I don't have a lot of experience with that, so my perspective is is coming from an in-the-box point of view, and I'm thinking, you know, I love the fact that I can have a virtual compressor and I can copy it and paste it as many freaking times as I want to. So for me, the cost of admission would have to fight with that ability, and it would have to just sound so amazing for me to decide that it was worth spending the money on. That said, though, I do like the points that you're talking about how using it on the two bus is very important. That's your most important place to focus on your, on, on at least in terms of compression where you should spend your money. I definitely agree, especially if you're someone who has to go in and say, I need the ozone advanced thing because I want to do my own mastering. And now I don't have any money left over for compression or, or maybe I don't have any extra money to go in and buy other processors spend the money on the expensive mastering processor and then spend a little less on the compression side for your hardware. So if you're going to go out there and get mastering processors hardware units, you're going to be spending, you know, five figures easy. Oh yeah. Oh my God. It's ridiculous. So, I mean, drop a thousand bucks on ozone advanced or whatever, then go and get your bus compressor. And now you have a pretty cool mix you know two bus chain that we could say and i think that will be more bang for your buck rather than trying to buy you know both hardware mastering processor and hardware compressor or you know trying to do the the ma even the mastering processing on hardware side with a virtual plugin i think even that is not going to be the most bang so consider that you know and i i like what you said earlier about tone shaping eq 
that's a really good idea to put money towards, especially for your two bus. Yeah, I was just going to say that. If you're going to get an EQ, I would start off just like getting a bus compressor, getting a good bus EQ. For example, I bought a Manly Massive Passive, which is incredibly expensive. I think they're like four or $5,000. However, you know, it's got a sound and a mojo. And more importantly, every time I turn it on or use it, or like a Clarifonic or whatever, it, my whole mix goes through it. So you're always getting the benefit of that on every single song, every single mix. So then it makes the investment more worth it. Now, you know, a budget EQ, you know, you can buy like an API or something like that, and you're going to get a really, really awesome sound. Yeah, that Clarifonic isn't three or $4,000 either. Oh, yeah, that's it's a very affordable EQ, and it's really, really amazing what it does to the top end. And again, you know, digital EQ plugins are pretty awesome, but there's something about... The way it adds air, for example, I really like on the Clarifonic, it's got that silk mode, which is like a 40,000 hertz somewhere up there bell. But when you crank that thing really high up, it the the bottom of the bell and the curve of it kind of lifts everything else below it. And it just gives that mix, that air that is so hard to get with a plug-in. So it, it it just does... It has that sparkle, you know, that's the only way I can explain it. It just does what it does, and it does it really, really well. And it's not insanely expensive. No, it's great. And for those of you doing lots of uh, mixing and lots of mix recalls, definitely consider the recallability of this gear. You know, I think there's there's a whole process to that where if you have to jump around from mix to mix and you have a lot of different outboard gear being set up, it's it's a pain in the ass, takes a lot of extra time. Definitely consider that in your budget when you're purchasing the gear. If all you're doing, though, is uh, two-bus compression and two-bus EQ... Yeah, it's not too bad. Clarifonic is a pretty simple unit, and, you know, most people leave their their two-bus hardware compressor pretty much the same from mix to mix. Yeah, not, yeah once you not optimize exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. Once you get the gain structure and find the point where it really pops and moves and you figure out where to hit it and you get back from it you know, you like you learn its curve, you learn how it moves and et cetera. You're getting the optimal range back. Uh, definitely, there's no point to mess with it unless like you get some crazy example of a song that just does not set in, settle into those two bus settings. Yeah, yeah, I think that one thing that uh, podcast listeners may have noticed over the past few months is that whenever we've had very intense analog guys who do a lot of modern mixing come on, they generally treat their hardware like uh, presets. Like uh, they kind of have their hardware do one thing and one thing only. And it's pretty much dialed in, like with a few, you know, change a couple things here and there depending on the source material. But it is, their tools are basically set up for to do one thing and one thing only well here's the thing though about that because sometimes you'll find a setting you know or like a series of settings so you'll have a distressor or whatever and it works really good on a bunch of different things but suddenly you just love the way it sounds on bass no matter what you send through it it always sounds great or maybe it's snare drum or whatever you know there's usually like a couple of instruments or something that you're going to habitually hit with the piece of outboard and what's going to end up happening is you're just going to fall in love with that particular unit on that source material. So once you get that and you've got the gain structuring, then you just adjust how hard you hit it and stick with it and stay. So 
definitely certain pieces of gear are going to have certain areas and qualities that are really going to shine to your ear when you hear them. And you're going to be like, that just sounds amazing to me. For example, like I love tracking into the shadow Hills with the steel or the, uh, nickel transformer on vocals. There's just something about it, depending on the, the singer that it just, when I don't have the opto on, it just feels lackluster to me and like it's missing that extra 15%. So it always gets used on tracking vocals, no matter what, no matter what the chain is. Same thing. You know, I like, I love the manly EQ on uh, the massive passive on vocals because it just has a certain curve to it. That sounds awesome. 99% of the time. By the, by the way, with the distressor, I really like opto mode for tracking vocals. Yeah. The distressor, I mean, it's, it's just such a good compressor. I mean, if I had to recommend one compressor that was a good starting one before you get into the world of outboard, it would have to be a distressor. I mean, they're like, what, 1350 or somewhere around there yeah. in terms of price. So it's expensive, but it's not like, you know, it's not like a $9,000 Shadow Hills. Yeah, but for as many different things as it can do, it's just yeah. a great, in and of itself, is bang for the buck. It, normally, Swiss Army gear sucks. Like, if a piece of gear is meant to do, like, ten different things, it'll do them mediocre. You should generally stay away from Swiss Army gear. That's a kind of a Swiss Army compressor that's actually good. Yeah, it does everything good. Yeah. I'll so, make a whole record with all the stressors any day. It'd replace <laughs> all one for me. <laughs> how, cool, how cool would that be, to have all the stressors? I wish. I should just buy, like, 30 of them and then, you know... <laughs> Nail the mix, all distressors. <laughs> God, that would be so awesome. So, yeah, hopefully, I mean, I think that's a good start uh, in terms of how to, how to spend your money wisely. Um, well, uh, we did leave a, one crucial thing out. What's oh. that? Monitors. Ah, monitors. I mean, that doesn't count as outboard, but... I mean, it's a major purchasing decision and it should be addressed. So what do you guys think? They should be doing that before they start buying EQs or compressors. Absolutely. That's all I'm getting at. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think your listening environment is your biggest obstacle in terms of getting successful results, right? You know, your room, the way it responds and and your speakers and what what's coming out of those speakers. And if you don't have a relationship with your speakers, you should I mean, you should break up with your girlfriend and uh, go buy a pair of speakers and, and build a relationship with them because... I was going to say, take them <laughs> on a date. Yeah, that's like the most important thing, man. Um, aside from all this other stuff that we're talking about. I have, What about snuggling with them? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, would, I would take them to bed, do some cuddling, you know, get, get to know them a little bit here. Because I, my mixes improved drastically when I moved from what I had, which was my friend's set of speakers. He had a Behringer... Uh, 2031As, and they were just god-awful. They hype the mix and make everything sound cooler than it really is, and it, it really screws you over because you think everything sounds good, and then you go and hear it outside, and you're like, oh, that's bad. I got the Atom A7s around the that turning point and was like, holy crap, Like everything has changed in my world. I'm hearing everything so much more realistic. And then I switched to the A7Xs, which has better bass response, and then... And then I was like, holy shit, my mixes are way too compressed. So that just those stepping stones, going from the Behringer 2031s to the Atom A7s, and then from the Atom A7s to the A7Xs, was like three milestones. And I, and I don't, you know, I'm almost afraid to like get another pair of monitors and have another, <laughs> another massive milestone of like, oh, you know, get it, maybe getting a pair of barefoots and going, holy shit, like 
the low end is screwed on all my mixes. But, you know, the point is, is like, get a great listening setup and so that you can actually hear what the fuck you're doing. Cause that's, I mean, your ears are the number one pinpoint of everything that you're doing. Yeah. So I think to summarize a good order is, you know, you want to get a good pair of monitors, then probably work some sort of good chain. So a good preamp, a good converter, maybe two channels. And again, you can always slave out cheaper units. And then after that, you can start adding some sort of outboard if you want to. And the best bang for the buck would definitely be to go right away to the two bus. And then after that, start doing things that are going to be used a lot in tracking. Yeah. And in terms of mics, get a good LDC, save up the money and a good dynamic. And I think that's uh, a pretty good starting point. And build out from there and, and really just Try to get a uh, every time the opportunity comes to where you can get a mic, um, and you notice the the contention point added on. What about plugins? Because I think before we go to plugins, let me just say that just to kind of recap, one thing is start with the stuff that you do the most. So the you're going to be using converters and interface the most, right? So you start there. I mean, listening to stuff the most. So you start there, and then just go down from there like uh that way you'll actually be able to use your gear intelligently i just see a lot of people do shit out of order that's uh kind of important if you want to get bang for the buck sorry to cut you off no it's fine and then for plug-in budget i think everyone's struggling with this one including us um you know, I think having a great mastering plugin, if if you don't have access to other mastering engineers, is is a great investment. You definitely want to have some good, solid, price worthy stuff there because if you're working with free mastering um, processors, most likely you're probably not getting great results. Uh, I've tried a lot of stuff out there; it just does not compare to the stuff that you pay for. Down from there. I would say a nice solid pack from probably Waves is is almost required. I don't know if you agree, but I, I really yes. I feel like those are just solid. You need a good solid pack of of Waves plugins to really do some work. Yeah, you can get a lot of mileage out of stock stuff, and I mean, if you guys have been watching Nail the Mix, you'll definitely notice that we can really kick a lot of ass with just whatever we we have without overthinking it but there's some really indispensable stuff in that waves like the you know l1 or the linear mb or q10 yeah q10 that just is really really cool c1 i want to address something um because a lot of people talk shit about waves and a lot of people think that there's better stuff out there and so they're going to avoid waves and like to argue about it on forums it's another one of these dumb forum arguments and uh yes maybe there is a better version of an 1176 made by uad for instance sure uad plugins are great there's a lot of great plugins out there but there's a reason for why successful mixers have been using waves since waves came out and that a lot of their plugins have been uh haven't been updated really and people still use them they work. They work really, really well and very efficiently. And uh, you should own them. I really do think they're indispensable. People should stop being assholes about it. <laughs> that's a that's a very scientific. Way I think there's it. a reason why nobody goes out and says, uh, "Here's another Q10 plugin," um, because Waves already mastered it. So, you know, think about that. Yeah, I mean, look, if you're getting a recreation of analog gear, sure. 
try out a few different ones, but also know that just because the UAD one might be better than a Waves one, the same thing exists in the analog world when people try to remake analog gear that was already created. The original might be better than the knockoff. The knockoff version that you get tomorrow might be better than the second version that the original company made. The same thing exists in the analog world when people try to recreate analog gear. But for plugins that are specific to a plugin company, like you guys said, like L1 or Q10 or whatever, they are what they are. You're not going to find something else that does it quite the same. Exactly. So hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Tips and Tricks and you will spend your money more wisely. If you have uh, any additional questions based on what you've heard in this episode, please visit the Private Producers Club and ask us in a post, and we'll try to get around to answering that soon. So thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Line 6. Line 6 is a musical instruments manufacturing company that specializes in guitar amp and effects modeling and makes guitars, amps, effects pedals, and multi-effects. We introduced the world's first digital modeling amp, and we're behind the groundbreaking pod multi-effect, which revolutionized the industry with an easy way to record guitar with great tone. Line 6 will always take dramatic leaps so you can reach new heights with your music. Go to www.line6.com to find out more about Line 6. To get in touch with the URM podcast, visit urm.com slash podcast and subscribe today.